Welcome to Politics on the Prairies, a podcast about politics in Western Canada. I'm your host, Ryan Catello, and I'm tired of the idea that politics should be off-limits. Also, my friends are tired of me talking politics at parties, so I decided to start a podcast where I interview politicians, entrepreneurs, and anyone else with something to say. The goal is to create a dialogue across parties and hopefully get people thinking about who they're voting for and why it's important. There may even be some good old-fashioned debate. If you want to be part of the conversation, join us on Politics on the Prairies. Hey everyone, my name is Ryan Catello and I'm here with Naomi Hunter, the leader of the SAS Green Party, and Victor Lau, the deputy leader of the SAS Green Party. So Naomi, do you want to introduce yourself? Hello, thank you so much for having me back on. I really enjoyed the last time I was here speaking with you and the public. And I look forward to sharing information about uh, the Saskatchewan Green Party and our election campaign today. Great. Thank you. And Victor? Hi, Ryan. Yeah, I'm, I'm really excited to be here. Um, I'm, uh, I'm really uh, getting back into the swing of things after the 2016 campaign. I'm really happy to have a dynamic leader to be working with and uh, building the party and to be uh, ready to form government after October 26. So. Amazing. And so, Victor, you've uh, you've ran before in, you're running now in Douglas Park in Regina for MLA, is that right? Yeah, that's correct. Uh, yeah, I think I first ran possibly in a by-election against Wayne Lingenfelter. So I ran twice against him, uh, and then I ran again in 2016. And, uh, you know, we keep moving the numbers up, but it is, uh, it is obviously a very, very hard hill to kind of keep climbing, but I think it's an important one, uh, certainly for, for trying to protect the earth and uh, some kind of community for future generations. So. Mm-hmm. And the Green Party's um, still a breakout party in Saskatchewan. Yeah, I think, I think it's definitely a breakout. I mean, I think the youth get it. Uh, I think anyone kind of under age of 30 at least considers the NDP, um, certainly in in any high school election, we win hands down, usually with plurality of 80% of the vote. So people that grew up in the 80s and 90s understand that the environment isn't just a you know secondary or tertiary issue. It is a primary issue. It has to go to cover economics, social justice, community, agriculture, everything. Um, so I think the Green Party breakout is probably going to happen sooner than later. Certainly it has to happen within the next decade uh, if you're looking at the climate data. So. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so, Naomi, this is your first time running as MLA. You've ran for the federal party, or is it first time in Elphinstone particularly, or how's that working for you? Yes, um, I, I was a federal Green, and I have been involved with the Saskatchewan Green Party since its inception in 1999. But this is my first time running as a provincial candidate. I've supported candidates in the past. I'm really feeling like Regina Elphinstone Centre has my heart. It's where I've done a long history of community service work and um, social justice work. And I think that it's an area that is going to be really receptive to the Green platform. Um, the, the Greens really, I find that people respond to our strong desire to see a guaranteed livable income, um, climate action now, and the demographics of people who live in my riding are exactly the people who I feel are going to respond the best to the message we're bringing forward. Cool. Um, cool. And so... Uh, in terms of policy, 
historically in Saskatchewan, the NDP were famous for progressive policies such as uh, implementing universal health care, other things like that. Is there a reason that you're running as Greens instead of NDP, which is also arguably a progressive party in Saskatchewan? Well, um, to say in a nutshell, I really believe that our democracy is broken. And we need to see a breakthrough in a third party, namely the Greens, for the sake of our electoral system in general. The Westminster system, the first past the post, encourages a system where, just like what you're saying, there's a winner-take-all philosophy. Um, There are two major parties normally, very colonialistic, and those parties don't like to share power. Um, 12 years ago, the Greens, um, the provincial Liberals, a number of third-party delegations went to the NDP right before they lost power and actually said, do one of the most historic things you could do right now. You're about to lose. I want you to bring in electoral reform. Let's make Saskatchewan um, the province that has been historically where we've seen historic um, breakthroughs. Uh, Saskatchewan's where we first introduced universal Medicare. Let's make Saskatchewan where proportional representation comes in first. You have the power to do this right now. Um, The NDP is in power. And they didn't want to share power. They said no, and then they lost catastrophically to the SAS party in that election and haven't regained um, ever since. Mm -hmm. Now, I still see a democracy like what you see in New Zealand, which is in our prime minister. I want to see that in Saskatchewan. I want to see all the different political parties actually form government together not a winner-take-all system, but I want to see a system in this province where cooperative politics is actually possible, truly doing politics differently. Yes, we're still under a first-past-the-post system, but if we can see a historic breakthrough with the Greens, then the NDP is going to be forced to work cooperatively with us. We can make changing our electoral system and other groundbreaking policies part of our agreement for moving forward after October 6th. Mm. This, my vision, this is my dream. I see. So your your, uh, motivation is predominantly uh, restoring and and, and ensuring democracy. Um, Victor, is that that a similar thing for you? Well, I think think clearly I'm I'm very supportive of Naomi's vision. I, I think changing the electoral system to be not a first-past-the-post, but proportional representation in some sorts uh, would be a very, very huge step forward. Mm -hmm. Uh, All we need is one province to do it. I think it'll set off a domino effect. Many provinces will follow, and probably the federal government soon thereafter. Um, Beyond that, we do have to address the whole idea of what is democratic reform. It's not just first-past-the-post, getting rid of it, putting in a proportional rep system, but also we have to address the big money in the system. Uh, Saskatchewan and now... I heard New Brunswick is still like a wild west. Uh, You can donate from any sector, any Canadian can donate into your province and influence the local elections. So we have to look at that. I I personally want to go to, uh, I'm advocating more of a a public reform system where parties, you know, register, everybody gets the same amount of public funding. We can calculate how much it costs to reach every single voter in Saskatchewan. Everyone gets the same amount of money to do advertising. They can spend it how they want, but this is all you get to send. You can't, you know, privately fundraise. So, and and I like uh, how Naomi phrased it. We we in the Green Party, 
we want to see a cooperative approach to government. We want to see people working together. The best ideas are the ones that are basically utilized, not not just not just because it came from us, but it might have come from another party. And, and we shouldn't just reject it out of hand. We should actually research it, study it, and and work not at cross purpose, but together. You know, to build better policy. So, I think I think hopefully you know the Greens can keep keep hammering that message. And I, I think. A lot of Green Party people are open to working with other parties, whereas other parties, all they're vying for every election is just to get elected. They just want to form government, hire their friends, and nothing really changes. And, and I think that continues the cycle of defeating more and more, um, you know, voter, creating more and more voter discontent kind of thing, which is unfortunate. It's nice to hear that you, uh, you two are on the same page. Um, <laughs> I would add, just for anyone uh, listening, uh, you'd mentioned New Brunswick has basically an open book policy on, on donations, to, to uh, and Saskatchewan has a similar thing, right? In, um, so, in other words, any corporation or any person can donate any amount of money to any political party in Saskatchewan. And so that creates the sentiment that um, politicians can be bought. Parties can be, policy can be influenced, right? That sort of thing. And so that's what you're saying is one of your chief concerns? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think, I just think it's really unfortunate where, say, looking at Saskatchewan, the Saskatchewan party has over a million dollars to spend on advertising. And, you know, we've got a low budget in the tens of thousands. And, and you know, a lot of people say to me at the doorstep, well, we don't hear your, you know, we don't see your signs. We don't hear your message. You know, where, where is the Green Party? And I, I have to take a few minutes to explain to them, well, this is, you know, this is all privately fundraised. We don't get any money from the provincial government, at least not directly. And, uh, you know, we have, you know, then, then you go to asking them for a donation. And a lot of people are actually surprised. They don't, many people that aren't political, meaning they, they don't really join a political party, don't realize that all this money is from private fundraising. And in Saskatchewan, we, we do allow corporations to donate too, which really is a disadvantage where the government of the day can basically go and ask for handouts from large corporations and then get favors in return when they form government. Um, you know, we're totally against that and hopefully we can continue to get the electorate to turn against that too. Right. So an example of that would be forestry company can't open up certain acreage of public land, makes a donation to whoever's in government at the time and suddenly that crown land becomes open for private sale, that sort of thing, is that right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so do the, does the Green Party accept um, excessive corporate donations? Or I understand that the Green Party has some sort of cap. Is that true? And so it becomes a, a personal party um, responsibility. Um, do the NDP have any sort of cap? The Green Party actually accepts no corporate donations whatsoever, right? Okay. And, um, that's something that we, we are a party where people can know that there are ordinary people, politicians who actually represent um, ordinary citizens and that there is no corporate control within the party. So that's something very important. And just to clarify, mm -hmm. although I feel that fixing our broken electoral system has to be a huge priority, my reason for that is that if we're going to see truly progressive change within our society and uh, government that puts the people first and actually ensures that social programming, ending homelessness, 
Um, making sure that we take the 15 years that we have left that the climate crisis has left us to fix this beautiful planet and hold our uh, our planet 1.5 degrees what is needed to actually make change and stop the climate crisis those kind of policies need a government that's working cooperatively so I'm prioritizing the fact that we need to change how government operates. We need to destroy the corrupt system that currently exists in Saskatchewan. And it is corrupt. This is the Wild West of um, elections and um, electoral systems. Uh, Saskatchewan is kind of known as not having rules. And um, we need to have a system that actually encourages us to look at the crisis that we find ourselves in make sure that we're looking after people. COVID-19 has shown us that we need to really be looking at our society's most vulnerable and making sure that people are looked after. It is possible to bring in a guaranteed livable income provincially as well as federally. Mm, okay. Um, do you guys have an idea? I'll ask you each one at a time. Now we're about a, a month and a half, a little over a month and a half out from the provincial election here in Saskatchewan. Do you have an idea, Naomi, we'll start with you, what your competition looks like in your constituency? Um, well, I can speak both to my constituency and the province as a whole. Okay. Um, absolutely, there are some wonderful politicians coming forward in of all political stripes, but I really see that uh, the the Greens are on a real par with the NDP. When I look on Election Saskatchewan website, um, the NDP currently only has about a third to a quarter of their candidates registered. Oh, yeah. um, the, Green, the Greens are in about the same place. Um, my understanding from the Liberals and the Progressive Conservatives is that neither of them are planning on running a full slate. The Saskatchewan Green Party is running a full slate of candidates. We are working hard um, to get those candidates on the ballot as we speak and make sure that we have everybody ready ahead of time before the writ drops. And right now, we're the only third-party group that is going to be running a candidate in every single riding. So that's um, a huge thing, and everyone in this province who wants to vote green is going to have the option to do so. Wow. So, you're, so basically, you've got... SAS party competition for sure, NDP for sure, but you may not even have a liberal or a conservative um, opponent on your in your riding. My my, how the turntables. <laughs> um, so you think that every every constituent or every sorry riding in Saskatchewan is going to have a a Green Party candidate for people to vote for? Absolutely. And uh, Victor and I, in particular, have really headed up the committee. We're not just figureheads of this party. We're right in there. Victor and I feel fully confident. I have spent a ton of time getting to know these candidates. If the media gets a hold of me tomorrow to ask me about a candidate as the names become public, I feel completely and totally ready to be able to talk about that person. Um, defend them. I feel really, really confident in these people and the quality and caliber of the candidates that we have this election 
is just fantastic. Um, I really feel that we've come a long way since 2016. Um, we did run our first full plate in 2016, which was a real hallmark for the Saskatchewan Green Party. And this election, we're moving even further forward. I think that we're going to see major breakthroughs and change the face of Saskatchewan political history forever this election. Good. And Victor? Any comments on the competition in your riding? Or might you see a liberal or a PC opponent? Or yeah, there's, okay. yeah, there's potential rumors. I, I, I mean, I try and keep in touch. I actually ran into my current MLA, um, Nicole Saar, and uh, we were talking a bit about that. And I, I think Naomi's right, though. It does seem that the Liberal Party and the PC Party of Saskatchewan have, have telegraphed that they're not going to run a full slate. They either don't want to or don't have the resources to do so. Um, if, if that does happen, uh, it will make us, you know, basically, once again, really the third party. And hopefully the media will give us some acknowledgement. Um, I think more importantly than, than even local conditions or, or provincial conditions, um, just looking at the platform that we ran on in 2016 and then moving forward to 2020, one of the, you know, things that seemed almost impossible or at least unachievable at that time though it was very important for us and for myself as leader to promote it was the guaranteed livable income. Well, fast forward to four years and, you know, back, back up about six months to around March, uh, when the lockdown happened right across Canada and the, the liberal government, minority government federally introduced the uh, CREB, the CERB, uh, Canada Emergency Response Benefit. And now, you know, four months, six months later, everybody's talking about potentially keeping that in place, you know, putting in a national guaranteed income when we've got support from business community, from senators, all across different political parties. Even Brian Mulroney, the former Prime Minister of Canada, has come out in favor of that. So the momentum is all there. So I guess if, if we look at the 2016 platform and moving it to 2020, I think the provincial Green Party here in Saskatchewan is well positioned to basically take advantage of people who finally, finally have opened their mind to the possibility that, look, what we are campaigning on is not, you know, pie in the sky. It's actually doable. And and we and as Naomi pointed out, if, if the national government is unwilling to put in a guaranteed income, certainly Saskatchewan would do it. Uh, we know we have the data, Alberta, if they were to remove a lot of their huge tax breaks, um, they could do a provincial guaranteed income too. So it's just a matter of political will. It's no longer whether or not the financial uh, ability is there. So it's very exciting times. I, I think it's, uh, yeah, it's all a matter of just getting our message out there and, and our candidates are ready to kind of do the door knocking, hammer on doors and talk to people, spread our message, you know, through social media, et cetera. So if I could jump in there, that will be the argument, I guess, is that mm -hmm. if you eliminate those subsidies and you roll back those tax breaks, you're going to chase business out of the province and then you won't have the excess slush fund for the guaranteed livable income. Is that not a problem, or do you feel like the resources are here so the industry will stay? What's your take on that? Yeah, I think from my perspective, and Naomi, uh, you know, I'll let you jump in in a few minutes or a couple of seconds, but my take was always that the Green Party is, is you know, it's like one of the mottos is small is beautiful. We're about localized economy, creating um, all the needs and production that we can to sustain, uh, you know, a good community in Saskatchewan, right, for every single citizen. Once we achieve that, then we should be able to, you know, then continue working to, you know, broaden that. It's kind of like Medicare, you know, um, when the CCF thought Medicare was going to really be a great program. 
And when they couldn't get national support, well, they just did it here, and then other provinces started following, and then eventually the national government came on board. So I think this idea that big business will leave, frankly, I, I don't know. If you look at uh, all the you know indicators, big business doesn't provide a lot of sustainable jobs. They don't provide a lot of benefits for people. It's local small business that really needs to be given you know, a, a supporting role from government. And as long as we can meet all our basic needs, I, I think if big business wants to operate in Saskatchewan, sure, under a Green Party government, we welcome that. But we don't want to basically be giving away you know, our, our tax breaks or just letting them destroy our resources or run rampant in our communities. That's not where we're interested in. So, you know, I think our model is really about community sustainability is is moving forward. Can we sustain this? And I, I believe we can. Very, very interesting response. So, okay, so a great example of that. Walmart moves into a into a smaller town outside of um, Saskatoon, say bigger. And Walmart will famously put their box store right outside the town's kind of municipal tax area and so they're thereby avoiding a lot of municipal tax so if you close those kind of loopholes you're saying that rather than um big business being chased out and everyone being upset about that you may get 20 30 small businesses that come in and take the place of that walmart so there's no loss anyways mm-hmm. i mean it, you're yeah. a different example you could use it in oil or other sectors but um I had never thought of it that way, is that you, you're not necessarily at a huge loss just because you lose some of these big names. Other small yeah, it, it's, things will pop up. It's, it, yeah, it's all about providing the goods and services that your community desires. Anything above that in terms of basic needs, once, once you've provided that, anything above that is just kind of like the cherry on the top of the sundae. You, you don't necessarily need to lure big business here to create good-paying jobs. I mean, the resources are here. Saskatchewan actually is one of the best provinces. I don't think we lack for much. I mean, we have we have the food, we have the resources to build uh, construction and everything. Yeah, I, 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 and I talk to a lot of people, miners, loggers, doctors, nurses, etc. in my profession as a cashier, and many people agree. They, they, they don't understand why our jurisdiction has some of the worst tax incentives and, and literally we're bleeding, like, like the SAS party has run deficit budgets, I think nine out of their 11 budgets, it's, it's we're back in the hole again in billions of dollars, so whoever takes over is going to have a hard time moving forward on that one, but you know, we're prepared to work on it. Hmm. Naomi, if there was three policies that you think you would drive, uh, were you in, in uh, legislative assembly? Um, you could even take it further were you to form government, um, what would they be? And, and they can be your own or they can be things that you don't like that the SAS party is doing that you would do different. What, what's the, what would your top three be? Um, my top three things that I would push for right now yeah. if I went into power is that I would immediately talk, uh, tax the top 1%, one of the biggest problems that we have in Saskatchewan, as was just outlined, is that um, whenever social programming is put forward, it's always said, well, we can't afford that. However, we've had a system of trickle-down economics in this province um, of promoting big business and never actually making them pay their fair share for a very, very long time. When I compare the oil industry in Saskatchewan and Alberta to the oil industry in Norway, um, the tax difference is something like 18%. 
Norway has become wealthy taxing that in Saskatchewan and Alberta on the other hand um, have pretty much put their hand out and said oh please set up shop in our provinces and we won't we won't really make it hard for you at all and now as the industry is dying we're being left as people to pay the cleanup bill that these industries are leaving behind and so instead of having this um, large amount of money that Norway has in order to pay for things like that that may arise later Saskatchewan and Alberta are instead being left in an economic crunch because of it. Um, large industry right now has enormous offshore accounts. Um, they're not paying their fair share. Even 1% tax on our richest citizens would actually enable us to uh, provide free dental services again for every school child in Saskatchewan, a program that I remember from my youth that I think is absolutely key to the well-being of our society. So mm -hmm. I would immediately um, tax our wealthiest citizens, um, corporations, to make sure that we have the funding going forward to create a climate action now plan that is actually in line with what the um, the Paris Agreement and what Canada has signed on to and agreed to to make sure that we have a livable world for our children. Um, the NDP, the SAS party, any of the other parties haven't really come up with a concrete plan that meets the targets that we need to meet. Um, when we're talking about reduction strategy, um, it's very, very clear what we need to do in order to get where we need to go. And the other parties' platforms and strategies regarding the climate crisis literally are like taking a basketball and we can see the net over there and purposely deciding that we're going to just toss that basketball on purpose to not get in the... Okay, it's not that we're not basketball. <laughs> We're actually deciding to fail. So we need to enact legislation to ensure a livable world for our children. And um, I would put guaranteed livable income as my third top point upon getting in. I want to see a Saskatchewan guaranteed livable income rent controls. I want to protect those in our society who are most vulnerable. I want to make sure that we have a situation moving forward where we can see from the pandemic that we currently find ourselves in that we were simply um, unprepared for this situation. The um, programs that the federal government put in place did save the day, but there were many, many loopholes. Um, numerous people in our most vulnerable in society were left behind with the CERB. Um, when you compare what people are on the CERB, 2000 a month, and then yes, it is taxable, so that goes down by $600 per month, but even at that, bringing it down to 1400 it's still more money than people are receiving on social assistance. Mm -hmm. What does that say about our society, and is that the kind of people that we want to be? Mm -hmm. We think about that, we need to acknowledge the fact that Saskatchewan's rates of looking after those who um, are in a situation where they need um, some help, and we need a system that instead of being punitive, actually encourages citizens to go and get a higher education. Um, all things that are guaranteed level income would bring our society need to be a priority as we move forward. So that's my, my top three issues as I would get into office. So when you say when you say tax the one percent, are you talking about like thousands of people or are you talking about like what what would the one percent make in Sask Saskatchewan? 
thinking it's more of a corporate tax anymore is it a corporate tax or a personal tax that you're or, or I guess they're both one and the same because whoever's running that or owning the majority shares in that corporation is who you're suggesting pays more tax it's uh, mainly corporations that are at mm-hmm. fault here but it certainly is a situation where I actually don't believe in any more millionaires. You know what? Um, after after you get to a certain cap in income, I want to just park after you. Congratulations, you won. Here's your little plaque. <laughs> now go out and build a hospital. Okay, okay? and we'll name on it. Yeah, I see. To, jump, to jump in there, Ryan, I'd say I, I definitely agree with Naomi. Something we campaigned on in 2016. Uh, was something that, that reminded me what Doug, Tommy Douglas had said when he was flying in for some interview in Saskatchewan. And the reporter asked him, so Mr. Douglas, uh, you must think Medicare is one of your greatest achievements, right? And he said, actually, no. And the guy says, really? And the guy said, and he, he kind of took him over to the airplane window as they were kind of descending. He said, look out there, what do you see? And the guy looked down and he says, I see a lot of lights, I think. And the guy goes, that, I believe, is my greatest achievement. That, and what he meant was, at the time, nobody would bring SAS power, uh, basically nobody would bring power to rural municipalities and so on, and so they created a monopoly to do so. And so one of the things I think that would really kind of uh, show what Naomi's talking about is, is the idea of participatory budgeting, actually opening up the whole provincial revenue streams, how we bring in income, and also showing how we basically expend that income. And I think if we make it open to the citizens year after year and, and kind of show them, you know, look, you can have a say in this, right? We are your government, right? Yes, we have some ideas and we can present those as green ideas like a carbon tax or, you know, different initiatives like that. But we can actually show them, here's how we tax the richest people in the province. Here's how we tax corporations in this province. Do you see if that's fair? Resource royalties, obviously that should be reviewed and reviewed for fairness, not just reviewed for, oh, is this good for corporations to come in here, make billions of dollars and, and you know, we'll, we'll create some unionized jobs and maybe those guys will do okay. But And, and I think really, um, as Naomi pointed out, places like Norway did a way better job. Um, they now have over a trillion dollars in the national accounts, sovereign wealth fund. And literally I calculated they could run their government you know, for seven years using that money and not have to tax anything. So, I mean, you can see the huge difference between how Saskatchewan, Alberta has developed the resources versus a country like Norway. So I, I think the Greens should really, really expound on that and during the campaign. I don't think the NDPs, I think the NDP is too afraid to go there, sadly. So wait a minute, you're saying that the industry didn't collapse in Norway when they implemented that tax? 
it's a it's a fascinating story. If you if you look it up, CBC, uh, I think it was a, well about maybe three four years ago, they did a really in depth how how it came about was um, a Norwegian woman had married an Iraqi citizen who who decided to move there, and and she was in connection with the current government of the day, and they had found out they had a lot of oil, you know, offshore, and they said, geez, but we don't know how to develop this. We've never had oil, and and this woman because she was political, she said, look, my husband. Is, is an Iraqi engineer in the oil industry, had worked with the government to develop the oil resources there. Maybe he could help. This guy literally designed the tax and sovereign wealth system that they use. So they basically monopolize all the oil wealth hmm. and basically tax it first for the country in Norway before basically you know sending it off elsewhere. So it's a great success story. And if we had done that you know, way back, say 20, 30 years ago, Alberta, let alone Saskatchewan, wouldn't be in the deficits and uh, debt that we're in now. So, yeah, yeah, we have options. I think that's what we have to tell citizens. We have options. So Okay. Uh, yeah, you know, I don't think people recognize that um, as much as, as even I wish they could. Uh, in Western Canada, um, I don't know if everyone realizes how much we're kind of getting robbed of our resources mm-hmm. right under our noses without uh, getting the proper kickback for our yeah. municipalities and cities. Um, so Victor, your three biggest ones, are they the same as Naomi? Or do you have, uh, I know you, you mentioned guaranteed livable income as one of your biggest. Yeah, I think, I think if I only had three guaranteed livable income, uh, it would be nice to see the federal government do that for every citizen and remove that as a necessity at the, at the provincial level. We do have to redesign our, our income support programs for people with disability, people that can't find work. So I think it'd be nice to work hand in hand with the, the national government to do that. Um, uh, then I, I think the second one might be participatory budgeting. I think that's important to show people over four years uh, that they can work to design a better system that they can all, and we can all live with. I think that's important. And I think, um, you know, to tack on with, you know, Tommy Douglas's legacy of Medicare should have been done years ago, but we should be, we should have continued expanding Medicare to include all the things uh, that are medical and, and necessity, including alternative therapies, chiropractics, uh, ambulances. That's a huge one. I cannot believe the NDP over the four years in opposition didn't continue to hound the SAS party. On, on including ambulance fees under Medicare. In, in fact, they, we, um, on an online, um, uh, I think it's a Cineboy Times uh, journal site, the Greens ended up debating the NDP on this where the NDP wouldn't budge on it. They said, well, we'd review it for fairness. Maybe we'd cover low-income people or this and that. And it was just, it's just astounding that the, the founders of, of Medicare refused to recognize that if you can't afford to get an ambulance ride to a hospital where you'll get you know, emergency treatment, well, then you might as well not have that hospital for that person. They will just die. And they, they can't seem to get that into their head. Can you, I mean, I'm glad they finally moved. Can uh, you articulate that problem? Well, I guess uh, a long time ago, I don't know if it was under an NDP government, but, uh, you know, ambulances were under Medicare in Saskatchewan. But they, the fee arranges from $300 or higher, depending on the distance, and it's not covered. Literally, if a, if, a personal, if a person uses an ambulance service in Saskatchewan, after the fact, you will be sent a bill and you will be expected to pay that bill however you can. And so many people that have a heart attacks, have constant need of ambulance services, have started saying, well, maybe I'll just 
not call the ambulance and die at home. Literally, they're, they're burdened. Or they're guessing, hey? Like, is this a heart attack or is this angina or something that I can right. sit out for six hours? Like, God forbid. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I could see that happening because if you've got 300 bucks and it costs 300 bucks to keep the lights on next month or, or, or for the next two months or whatever, and you've mm-hmm. got that budgeted out, it's going to really weigh on you before you call an ambulance, even if you really need one. And I don't know. I'm yeah, not, I don't know anything about it, it. makes no sense in the birthplace of Medicare um, not to have medical coverage for that. It's uh, you know I think it's I think it was New Brunswick, one of the Atlantic provinces. They they basically say that if you can afford to pay it, then they'll, you'll be expected to pay your ambulance fee. But otherwise, uh, you know, if you can show that you don't have the means, then they'll just cover it. And I don't know how flexible that system is. But I think most Canadians across the country, if we're going to pay high taxes to support government services like Medicare, I think we need to find a way to cover ambulance services. I mean, it, it doesn't make sense. Tax the corporations, tax the resources, whatever. Either that or we can't afford it as a, as a first world country. Makes no sense. So, Absolutely makes no sense. So and it's, that's a provincial issue? And it, so in other provinces, is it covered to your knowledge? It's all it's all over the map. It it depends. Uh, I believe, like I said, New Brunswick. If you have uh, the means and or say a private, uh, you know, a private insurance that covers ambulance fees, then the government expects you to pay the bill. If you don't and you you claim that you can't, then I guess they just write it off. You know, they just consider it a loss, and the provincial government picks up the tab. I'm not sure if we want that version. Mm-hmm. I, I think, you know, being being the province that created Medicare, I think we want to say. Ambulance services are part of Medicare. You can't get access to the system unless you can get, you know, there, especially in, in some of the rural areas that don't have local hospitals anymore. So, you know, and, and I think part of the participatory budgeting is the idea of working with people to design the community services they need. So it's it's a huge opportunity to create grassroots democracy, not just in elections, you know, but but in, in on ongoing government services. So it's a huge move. Okay. Okay. So do you do you suppose that um, Saskatchewan is on the right track in terms of uh, climate change by comparison to other uh, provinces? And if not, what's the biggest thing they're doing wrong? I'll start with Victor, and then we'll go back to Naomi. I, I think the biggest one, in my in my opinion, uh, is that they're 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 wetting themselves uh, to a lesser scale like Jason Kenney did in Alberta. They're saying that the oil economy will continue going on for 30 years. How do we develop our economy, our programming, our communities around oil infrastructure? I think that's a really, really bad bet. And, and here's how I sell the Green Party plan is, don't you think that even though oil may be, and I really hesitate to say it would be around for 30 more years, don't you think if, if we need to shut it down or phase it out, we should have a plan B? And, and you'd, you'd be surprised how many people that work in the industry agree and, and are willing to you know, hear our message and possibly even vote green just because it's a plan B. I mean, in life, most people have plan B, plan B for their family, plan B for their job, just in case things go wrong, like buying insurance. That's plan B. If you don't have insurance to cover off your house burning down, well, what do you do when it does burn down? you rebuild it with your hands with what little savings you have so i think 
and, and I don't like saying, um, I, I, I agree that um, it is a climate emergency. I think things are getting dire uh, on a daily basis, as we've seen with the California fires. But I think a lot of people have become numb to this because they just think, well, if everything's going to burn anyway, I might as well enjoy my Jeep. I might as well enjoy the rich foods, like eating as much meat as I can. They just start tuning it out, right? And because they're so afraid to make that small change or, or think they can change. So I think it's important that we get our messaging right to say that, look, all we're saying is it's plan B. Ideally, if the Green Party gets elected, we'd move towards probably plan A because I think we need to move toward phasing out uh, you know, coal, oil, and the old way of doing things. Uh, and you know, I love saying that our, our way of doing things, when people say, well, summarize it for me, I say, it's Elon Musk. He's literally single-handedly building the, the world of tomorrow. And we all we have to do is just work with him to make sure that uh, you know any bumps along the way can be smoothed out. But I mean, I, I don't think he wants to see the world burn any much more than uh, many people, and and I include ordinary Canadians right across the political spectrum. We just got to get them to move past the fear of making any changes at all. So, okay, I think that that kind of relatively coincides with what Naomi said when she was on the podcast in January. Basically, um, Naomi, you had said that uh, SAS Party is kind of tying themselves to this nuclear reactor deal 10, down, 10 years down the road, which will basically, you know, since it's, it's, they're not built and, and it's unreasonable to think that they could be built, um, it basically just attaches us to oil for that much longer, as opposed to, like you said, looking for other alternatives. Um, there used to be a burgeoning... Um, uh, solar sector in this province um, that seemed to have kind of died off in the last year or two, and uh, you know, so on and so forth. Um, it didn't die; it was killed by the SAS party. It was killed. Uh, so you think that the solar party could have kept going, kept um, growing, and uh, well, why don't you why don't you tell us about that? You have some farm um, farm background, and you did a harvest this year, and. Um, yeah, uh, how would solar have helped? And, uh, and well, first of all, let's start off. How was solar killed? And then how would solar continue to help farmers become independent in Saskatchewan? Saskatchewan has the highest emissions rate in the country. Saskatchewan and Alberta are actually responsible for, the, for all of Canada not reaching our Paris Accord Agreement. Okay, for, for the Canadian uh, population not being able to get our carbon footprint down to where it should be. Right here, right now, the crisis begins on our land and soil. Okay. Let's get that very, very clear. This isn't um, a small problem that Saskatchewan might be just a little bit a part of. We, as a very underpopulated province, and Alberta beside us, are actually responsible for the problem in this country. Mm. Okay? There are places higher population, not as many emissions. Um, and this is not something that we can recycle our way out of. We need to, again, stressing the fact that this is something that industry is responsible for and that government has had a hand in allowing the Wild West of the industries not um, taking their emissions into account and um, doing something about. We, we have a province that has the highest solar gains in the country. Should be first in all progressive things. We are literally set up. I have been traveling the province, getting our wonderful candidates on the ballot, and I look around southern Saskatchewan 
and it is so well situated for solar. Um, we have areas like Crepe, which is considered one of the windiest places on Earth. What an amazing place to promote wind. And there were micro, micro companies set up all across this province that were doing very, very well. Saskatchewan was actually known as one of the best places to install solar in Canada. And it has gone from the best to the worst. Hmm. All within this last year. So while we've seen repressive and austerity budgets from the SAS party, over their entire time in government, um, this past four years has been particularly terrible. Three years ago, they brought in an austerity budget that cut across the board so many social programs that those of us on the left were forced to literally pick the top three things that were so incredibly unreasonable that we had to fight those, and some of which we've uh, managed to see them reverse, but we still see a situation where they completely got rid of the Saskatchewan Transportation Company. Um, we see it... We see a situation where instead of encouraging mass transportation and um, other programs that would actually help um, promoting setting up electric car charging stations across this province, um, rebates and um, offering incentives for setting up solar and for buying electric cars, instead the Saskatchewan um, government, the SAS party is instead talking about setting up SMRs, small modular reactors, which is a technology, by the way, that does not yet exist. They are literally trying to stretch this out um, with imaginary programming and getting rid of the good programs that already existed because they literally are in the pocket of oil and gas. They literally are um, not wanting to meet any of the considerations of the climate crisis at all. And um, it's really a situation now where people saying that, well, you know, I talked to the politician at my door of the major big parties. They promised me they're going to do something about it. And I got a um, I vote for climate action sign and put it on my lawn. Well, you know what? That is not good enough anymore. Mm-hmm. People to vote for the party that actually has environment in its name. We are the Green Party, and it is time for the sake of the next 10,000 generations, for the sake of my children, my grandchildren, and yours, to vote the Green Party, and we need people who are actually going to put, making sure that there's a livable world moving forward as one of our top priorities right now, tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Nicely put. Well said. Um, so what does, in COVID times, what does campaigning look like now as compared to in the past? Could you tell me about that? Uh, Victor, go ahead since you, uh, <laughs> 2016. Well, you know, it's, it's not as bad as I would have thought. I mean, like Naomi's doing it too, like, you know, getting the signatures, gathering the paperwork for the candidates. Um, you know, I found, I, and I was in one of the, the worst, supposedly, by our local candidate uh, about four or five years back. You know, um, Norbert Cratchburg, the organic farmer, he said, oh, this is a terrible place. We're surrounded by oil. Everybody sprays pesticide on their crops. Those are the two main industrial kind of uh, providers of jobs out there. So everybody's terrified. It's a a hellhole. And and literally, you know, I I, I was telling Naomi this. um, I door knocked 10 doors to get signatures. The first seven doors all said yes. And and they weren't, you know, they weren't surprised. we had pleasant conversations about various topics, uh, and and they were they were open. I think through the green messaging. So 
I, I think there's greens everywhere. It's just it's just the approach, and and I think if you approach it um, from a perspective of we're here to help you, like what do you what do you want to see in a provincial government? What do you want to see in community programming? What do you want to see for your children, your future generations? And and if we throw out some of the facts that we you know talk about in terms of climate action and needing to do something about the climate, I think a lot of people are concerned. It's just we don't want to. Uh, make them paralyzed with fear. We want to give them hope. We want to give them opportunity. And we want to show them that, look, we're not the bad guys. In fact, we're the good guys, right? The, the government of the day has no plan B. The government of the day just thinks business as usual is perfectly fine. And for those people that don't care, I guess, for future generations, I guess it is perfectly fine. They just want to use up their resources and they, they don't care what happens after their time in office. We're not about that. We're like like Naomi was talking about. We're we're talking about 10, 10, maybe fifteen or more generations down the road. If we ever get a chance, as as one MLA or as government, we're going to make sure we do the best we can to secure Saskatchewan for a generation or more. Um, that's that's long term thinking, and I don't think the SAS party or the NDP even has that kind of vision anymore. And and I'm glad that the Greens still have it. And uh, yeah, all we have to do is go out there and promote it. Mm. Okay. So you had a, you've had so far a good experience going to the few doors that you've gone to this year, and it hasn't been like a, okay, you know it seems like people are in a talkative mood after pandemic and lockdown. I've found even in my personal and work life, um, when you get someone on the phone, if they're going, they're they're going. <laughs> yeah, so that could play into your favor. Um, the Saskatchewan Green Party has actually put a full COVID-19 um, recommendations for all candidates. Um, I'm providing that to every single candidate. It's a 14-point list of recommendations. Um, I have hand-sewn 61 masks so that any candidate doesn't have a reusable mask is being provided with one or three, depending on their needs. Um, we are encouraging people to carry hand sanitizer, use it frequently in between doors, um, to take the flyer that we are actually creating for them as a central party um, and put it in the mailbox, step back six to eight feet after knocking on the door and then let the person know I've placed the cat the flyer in your mailbox to decrease the amount of contact between us due to COVID-19 your safety and our safety are really important to us um, any candidates that feel uncomfortable with door knocking we're encouraging them just to flyer drop um, we're very very concerned that we follow the advice of Dr. Shaheeb and the chief medical like the chief medical health officer and make sure that um, while of course we have to campaign this election that it be done in as safe and um, uh, loving a manner as possible to the public so mm -hmm. we've actually been very very concerned to look after those kind of issues good it's nice to hear you thinking about that and Naomi do you have a Twitter handle um, yes I do on Twitter I am GPC hunter Please look me up and like and follow me Naomi your GPC hunter and uh, Victor do you have a Twitter handle Yep, it's uh, at and then vote Lao, V O T E L A U. <laughs> at Easy to find. Vote Lao. Yep. That's right. Yeah. And you're um, you're in Douglas Park, Regina. You said Victor. Yes, Regina Douglas Park. Yep. And Naomi, you're in Elphinstone Center, right? Elphinstone Center, yes. And so, for anyone from Saskatchewan listening, this election is happening October twenty third. Uh, is that right? 
or 26. 26. Oh, my goodness. Thank, thank you for that correction. <laughs> um, October 26th, and uh, it's an important one because this is the one um, that the Green Party is counting on to, to, to break out and introduce a third party to the province. So we all encourage everyone to get out and vote um, this year. Uh, is there anything else you guys wanted to add or, or closing remarks or just remarks on future of the province or anything you want to share about your cats? If you have cats <laughs> or dogs. <laughs> I, I guess I could start. I mean, I, I just encourage everyone to engage in the political conversation. Uh, you know, these events only come around four or five years. I, I hope that we can continue chatting politics uh, all the time, year-round, in between elections. But whenever there is election, uh, you know, called, I think it's important for our neighbors and community members to get out and, and have a, a friendly discussion about issues. You know, talk about what happened in government, talk about what what's going on in the opposition, and uh, you know what, what the third parties are offering. I, I don't I don't see why politics has to be so uh, antagonistic. I think it can be. A meeting of minds and and uh it's almost like um, what i envisioned the grecian democracy where you know you have great orators you know debating these things and everyone gets a shot at it everyone should be encouraged to speak out i i, I think a, a thriving democracy requires all of us to take some initiative um to go out there and talk to everyone about these things and uh, you know you don't have to come talk to the green party you can talk among your neighbors and say Hey, you know what? What do you think about the Green Party platform? Or do you think we should reelect the SAS party? You know, but but to not talk about it and just not even vote, I, I think that's really doing doing a huge disservice to not only yourself but to your fellow Saskatchewan people. And uh, yeah, I encourage everyone to get involved in some capacity and participate. Well put. Completely agree. And I think I'm going to bolster up what Victor had to say. Um, one thing that I think the general public doesn't realize is that. 40% of the population doesn't vote. Mm -hmm. That huge population that would be enough to absolutely change the world. So That's if you true. have those non-voters, so many of my leftist friends tell me that they think they're protesting by not voting. The fact of the matter is that when you don't vote, you're voting for the SAS party provincially and the conservatives federally. Because you know who does vote? Um, I'm a farmer and my neighbors, out at the farm, vote religiously. They think they get a special award for showing up first person in the ballots, okay? And they all vote conservative, they all vote SAS party. So we need all of you now at the end of all time when the climate crisis has reached a point where we don't have time for another four years of half promises and missed opportunities here. We need you, if you were one of those non-voters, come together stop um, behaving like you think that your protest vote is going to be an effective means of stopping the SAS party because it's not. Get out there, do your part for democracy, and make sure we have effective change moving forward. We need your vote. Just one more vote could make the difference. There you go, folks. You heard it. Um, Naomi, Victor, I really want to thank you again for taking the time today. And um, everyone listening, I hope that this has helped you uh, kind of navigate some of the weeds of politics, especially provincially. It can be a little bit complicated, um, but I hope it's given you some insight onto green policy and how you can make a change. So thanks again, and we hope to have you guys on again soon. Awesome. Thanks, Ryan. No problem. Thanks for having me.